Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Written by Jane Austen and published in 1811, Sense and Sensibility is a classic English novel. The story follows the lives of the Dashwood family in an innocent age of ladies and gentlemen. My name is Teddy and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. I bring this podcast to you to help you get a good night's rest. It's designed to play in the background as you slowly fall asleep. If it helps, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. A special thanks to iTunes listener, Mrs. McGonagall's sister, for your kind words. Nice username, by the way. If you enjoy falling asleep to the podcast and would be so kind, please take a moment to leave a review and rating in iTunes or your podcast player of choice. It really does help me reach more people who need a good night's rest. You're always welcome to say hello or support the podcast at boreyoutosleep.com. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. The family of Dashwood had long been settled in Sussex. Their estate was large, and their residence was at Norland Park, in the centre of their property, where for many generations they had lived in so respectable a manner as to engage the general good opinion of their surrounding acquaintance. The late owner of this estate was a single man who lived to a very advanced age and who for many years of his life had a constant companion and housekeeper in his sister. But her death, which happened ten years before his own, produced a great alteration in his home for to supply her loss, he invited and received into his house the family of his nephew, Mr. Henry Dashwood, the legal inheritor of the Norland estate, and the person to whom he intended to bequeath it. In the society of his nephew and niece and their children, The old gentleman's days were comfortably spent. His attachment to them all increased. The constant attention of Mr. and Mrs. Henry Dashwood to his wishes, which proceeded not merely from interest, but from goodness of heart, gave him every degree of solid comfort which his age could receive and the cheerfulness of the children added a relish to his existence. By a former marriage, Mr. Henry Dashwood had one son. By his present lady, 
three daughters. The son, a steady, respectable young man, was amply provided for by the fortune of his mother, which had been by large and half of which devolved on him of his coming age. By his own marriage, likewise, which happened soon afterwards, he added to his wealth. To him, therefore, the succession to the Norland estate was not so really important as to his sisters, for their fortune independent of what might arise to them from their father's inheriting that property, could save but be small. Their mother had nothing, and their father only £7,000 in his own disposal. For the remaining moiety of his first wife's fortune was also secured to her child, and he had only a life interest in it. The old gentleman died. His will was read, and like almost every other will, gave as much disappointment as pleasure. He was neither so unjust nor so ungrateful as to leave his estate from his nephew, but he left it to him on such terms as destroyed half the value of the bequest. Mr. Dashwood had wished for it more for the sake of his wife and daughters than for himself or his son. But to his son and his son's son, a child of four years old, it was secured in such a way as to leave to himself no power of providing for those who were most dear to him and who most needed a provision by any charge on the estate or by any sale of its valuable woods. The whole was tied up for the benefit of this child, who, in occasional visits with his father and mother at Norland, had so far gained on the affections of his uncle, by such attractions as are by no means unusual in children of two or three years old, an imperfect articulation, an earnest desire of having his own way, many cunning tricks, and a great deal of noise as to outweigh all the value of all the attention which, for years, he had received from his niece and her daughters. He meant not to be unkind, however, and as a mark of his affection for the three girls, he left them a thousand pounds apiece. Mr. Dashwood's disappointment was, at first, severe, but his temper was cheerful and sanguine, and he might reasonably hope to live many years, and by living economically, 
lay by a considerable sum from the produce of an estate already large and capable of almost immediate improvement. But the fortune which had been so tardy in coming was his only one twelve-month. He survived his uncle no longer, and ten thousand pounds, including the late legacies, was all that remained for his widow and daughters. His son was sent for as soon as his danger was known, and to him Mr. Dashwood recommended, with all the strength and urgency which illness could command, the interest of his mother-in-law and sisters. Mr. John Dashwood had not the strong feelings of the rest of the family, but he was affected by a recommendation of such a nature at such a time, and he promised to do everything in his power to make them comfortable. His father was rendered easy by such an assurance, and Mr. John Dashwood had then leisure to consider how much there might prudently be in his power to do for them. He was not an ill-disposed young man, unless to be rather cold-hearted and rather selfish is to be ill-disposed, but he was, in general, well-respected, for he conducted himself with propriety in the discharge of his ordinary duties. Had he married a more amiable woman, he might have been made still more respectable than he was. He might even have been made amiable himself, for he was very young when he married, and very fond of his wife. But Mrs. John Dashwood was a strong caricature of himself, more narrow-minded and selfish. When he gave his promise to his father, he meditated within himself to increase the fortunes of his sisters by the present of a thousand pounds apiece. He then really thought himself equal to it. The prospect of four thousand a year in addition to his present income, besides the remaining half of his own mother's fortune, warmed his heart and made him feel capable of generosity. Yes, he would have given them three thousand pounds. It would be liberal and handsome. It would be enough to make them completely easy. £3,000, he could spare so considerable a sum with little inconvenience. He thought of it all day long, and for many days successively, and he did not repent. No sooner 
was his father's funeral over than Mrs. John Dashwood without sending any notice of her intention to her mother-in-law, arrived with her child and their attendants. No one could dispute her right to come. The house was her husband's from the moment of his father's decease. But the indelicacy of her conduct was so much the greater and to a woman in Mrs. Dashwood's situation, with only common feelings, must have been highly unpleasing. But in her mind, there was a sense of honour so keen, a generosity so romantic, that any offence of the kind, by whomever given or received, was to her a source of immovable disgust. Mrs. John Dashwood had never been a favourite with any of her husband's family, but she had no opportunity till the present of shewing them with how little attention to the comfort of other people she could act when occasion required it. So acutely did Mrs. Dashwood feel this ungracious behaviour, and so earnestly did she despise her daughter-in-law for it, that on the arrival of the latter, she would have quitted the house forever, had not the entreaty of her eldest girl induced her first to reflect on the propriety of going and her own tender love for all her three children determined her afterwards to stay, and for their sakes avoid a breach with their brother. Eleanor, this eldest daughter, whose advice was so effectual, possessed a strength of understanding and coolness of judgment which qualified her though only nineteen, to be the counsellor of her mother, and enabled her frequently to counteract, to the advantage of them all, that eagerness of mind in Mrs. Dashwood, which must generally have led to imprudence. She had an excellent heart, her disposition was affectionate, and her feelings were strong, but she knew how to govern them. It was a knowledge which her mother had yet to learn, and which one of her sisters had resolved never to be taught. Marianne's abilities were, in many respects, quite equal to Eleanor's. She was sensible and clever, but eager in everything, her sorrows, her joys, could have no moderation. She was generous, amiable, interesting. She was everything but prudent. The resemblance between her and her mother was strikingly great. Eleanor saw, with concern, 
the excess of her sister's sensibility, but by Mrs. Dashwood it was valued and cherished. They encouraged each other now in the violence of their affliction, the agony of grief which overpowered them at first, was voluntarily renewed, was sought for, was created again and again. They gave themselves up wholly to their sorrow, seeking increase of wretchedness in every reflection that could afford it, and resolved against ever admitting consolation in future. Eleanor, too, was deeply afflicted, but still she could struggle. She could exert herself. She could consult with her brother, could receive her sister-in-law on her arrival, and treat her with proper attention and could strive to rouse her mother to similar exertion, and encourage her to similar forbearance. Margaret, the other sister, was a good-humoured, well-disposed girl, but as she had already imbibed a good deal of Marianne's romance, without having much of her sense, she did not at thirteen, bid fair to equal her sisters at a more advanced period of life. Mrs. John Dashwood now installed herself mistress of Norland, and her mother and sisters-in-law were degraded to the condition of visitors. As such, however, they were treated by her with quiet civility and by her husband with as much kindness as he could feel towards anybody beyond himself, his wife and their child. He really pressed them with some earnestness to consider Norland as their home and as no plan appeared so eligible to Mrs. Dashwood as remaining there till she could accommodate herself with a house in the neighbourhood, his invitation was accepted. A continuance in a place where everything reminded her of former delight was exactly what suited her mind In seasons of cheerfulness, no temper could be more cheerful than hers or possess, in a greater degree, that sanguine expectation of happiness which is happiness itself. But in sorrow she must be equally carried away by her fancy and as far beyond consolation as in pleasure She was beyond alloy. Mrs. John Dashwood did not at all approve of what her husband intended to do for his sisters. To take £3,000 from the fortune of their dear little boy would be impoverishing him 
to the most dreadful degree. She begged him to think again on the subject. How could he answer it to himself to rob his child, and his only child too, of such a large sum? And what possible claim could the Miss Dashwoods, who were related to him only by half-blood, which she considered as no relationship at all, have on his generosity to so large an amount. It was very well known that no affection was ever supposed to exist between the children of any man by different marriages, and why was he to ruin himself and their poor little Harry by giving away all of his money to his half-sisters. It was my father's last request to me, replied her husband, that I should assist his widow and daughters. He did not know what he was talking of, I dare say. Ten to one, but he was light-headed at the time, Had he been in his right senses, he could not have thought of such a thing as begging you to give away half of your fortune from your own child. He did not stipulate for any particular sum, my dear Fanny. He only requested me, in general terms, to assist them and make their situation more comfortable than it was in his power to do. Perhaps it would have been as well if he had left it wholly to myself. He could hardly suppose I should neglect them, but as he required the promise, I could not do less than give it. At least I thought so at the time. The promise, therefore, was given and must be performed. Something must be done for them whenever they leave Norland and settle in a new home. Well, then, let something be done for them, but that something need not be £3,000. Consider, she added, that when the money is once parted with, It can never return. Your sisters will marry and it will be gone forever, if indeed it could be restored to our poor little boy. Why, to be sure, said her husband, very gravely, that would make great difference. The time may come when Harry will regret that so large a sum was parted with. If he should have a numerous family, for instance, it would be a very convenient addition. To be sure, it would. Perhaps then it would be better off for all parties if the sum were diminished one half. Five hundred pounds would be a prodigious increase to their fortunes. Oh, 
beyond anything great, what brother on earth would do so much for his sisters, even if really his sisters, and as is only half-blood, but you have such a generous spirit. I would not wish to do anything mean, he replied. One had rather on such occasions do too much than too little. No one at least can think I have not done enough for them. Even themselves, they can hardly expect more. There is no knowing what they may expect, said the lady, but we are not to think of their expectations. The question is, what you can afford to do. Certainly, and I think I may afford to give them £500 apiece. As it is, without any addition of mine, they will each have about £3,000 on their mother's death. A very comfortable fortune for any young woman. To be sure it is, and indeed, it strikes me that they can want no addition at all. They will have £10,000 divided amongst them. If they marry, they will be sure of doing well, and if they do not, they may all live very comfortably together on the interest of £10,000. That is very true, and therefore... I do not know whether, upon the whole, it would not be more advisable to do something for their mother while she lives, rather than for them, something of the annuity kind, I mean. My sisters would feel the good effects of it as well as herself. A hundred a year would make them all perfectly comfortable. His wife hesitated a little, however, in giving her consent to this plan. To be sure, said she, it is better than parting with fifteen hundred pounds at once. But then, if Mrs. Dashwood should live fifteen years, we shall all be completely taken in. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling drowsy. If you're not quite drowsy yet, please feel free to listen to another episode. I look forward to bringing you a new episode soon, and in the meantime, good night.